What's your favourite type of rocket, Charlie? Big rockets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Glass of Seawater. I'm Will, and today I'm joined by Charlie. Hello. Greg. Hi. And Scott. Hello. Today we're going to talk about something that I know basically nothing about. Uh, we're going to talk about rocket science. So, should we just dive straight into, so, into it? Uh, who wants to tell me what do we mean when we say rocket? Well, basically a rocket is something that we Used light on fire. Space, yeah. <laughs> and that explosion creates thrust because from Newton's third law, if you have stuff going one way, there's an equal and opposite reaction the other way. So, what you're trying to do is send a load of fuel, a load of stuff in one direction, generally towards the Earth, so that your rocket, your payload, your other useful stuff goes up towards space. Yeah, so how exactly does this relate to plasmas? Because at the moment we're talking about um, using, it's usually like an oxygen and some other reactants that we use in chemical rockets, right? Yeah, most uh, chemical rockets uh, are the ones that you typically use for getting off the earth, because you want something that can provide a really high amount of uh, thrust so you want something with a really high uh, thrust to mass ratio um, and you're right you're, you're literally writing an explosion right you you fill uh, a rocket thrust? sorry in? what's thrust thrust yeah. oh thrust is just when you you know you're pushing on something you're changing something's momentum so if you provide a thrust to something you're making it faster or, or slower you're changing the amount of momentum something has um, and it's it's important to to choose different thrusters for different applications. So, for example, chemical rockets, as you mentioned, are great for getting off the Earth. Um, the reason they're great is because um, you typically tend to use things like, uh, as you said, oxygen, which is an oxidizer, funnily enough, and something else like, say, hydrazine or uh, liquid hydrogen. Um, and you get a huge amount of energy when you combine these things. You're writing a bomb. You just slowly release the energy. Well, I'll say slowly, but you release the energy in, in, over, over time rather than just blowing the whole thing up. Um, and uh, so that allows the, the, the chemical energy as you burn it to be released into heat and you get this ridiculously energetic plume at the bottom of your craft and you ride it into space. Um, and yeah, the, uh, there's, there's elements of both Newton's third and second law in it. Um, so most of it's Newton's third law though. You want to go in one direction, so if you chuck bits of yourself in the other direction, then you move that way. But um, the problem with chemical rockets is that you have to carry all that fuel that you want with you. So if you're going to go to... So if you want something that lasts in space a long time and you want it to produce thrust occasionally, that's fuel that you have to be carrying with you and that's extra mass that you don't necessarily want to take. And then especially for interplanetary missions, your fuel ends up being a considerable proportion of the amount of space on your rocket. And that's a problem because you also want to be carrying people and food. Yep. So what, an how another, do we solve that? Well, there's also another problem involved with that in that the energy within the rocket within the is stored within the fuel itself. So you are limited in the amount of energy you can get from the fuel that you're carrying because it's within the fuel, if that yeah. makes sense. So, yeah, what, what <laughs> Greg's touching on well. is the thing called specific energy, we tend to call it. So it's the amount of energy you can release from a fuel divided by the mass of that fuel. Um, and so if you got something with a higher specific energy, it means that it has more energy per mass and obviously if you have to throw away mass to move then you want something with the most energy per mass 
which is why they tend to use hydrogen and oxygen, uh, because hydrogen and oxygen are both very, very light elements, hydrogen being the lightest element, um, and uh, hydrogen and oxygen react very well together. Um, water is a very stable compound, and so when hydrogen and oxygen react together to form water, it releases a lot of energy, because the more stable the product, typically the more energetic the reaction to form it, typically. So this specific energy goes into um, the differences between chemical energy and nuclear energy, and if you want to go even further, straight matter to energy conversions. So these are different orders of magnitude of energy that you can get from your field. So when we're talking about plasmas rockets, we start to talk about nuclear energy, or is it still well, a sort of chemical energy within there? It's an interesting kind of point that um, chemical energy is stored within the fuel itself, which, like I said before, has the problem of you're carrying your energy within the fuel. The best type of rockets start to separate that energy from the fuel itself. So this is where um, electric thrusters, plasma thrusters are good because the fuel is not containing the energy that you put in. It's being contained somewhere else. It's not in the chemicals. It's within the um, electricity that you might be using to power it. Or you mentioned nuclear as well. So there's some interesting uh, rocket ideas using nuclear propulsion um, where the energy is coming from the... Uh, the nuclear decay so imagine a nuclear power plant cutting the bottom off it and then kind of letting instead of using the coolant to cool the reactor using that coolant as a f propellant you'll end up in space if you kind of do that um, there's a lot of heat energy You're within. Saying, I'll, I'll end up in space if I just cut the bottom of the nuclear power plant yeah <laughs> well, well one way or another <laughs> <laughs> I mean um, yeah yeah it's not a good idea but it is it is demonstrably um, possible. You can fly a nuclear rocket, and it was done. Um, it was done in the 50s. Oh, cool. Yeah, there were a number of different tests performed in the 50s and 60s before safety was invented. Um, and uh, the <laughs> Damn safety. Oh, yeah. It's, it's nuclear fuel rods, essentially. Yeah. Um, with, uh, like, like Greg just mentioned, you, you pass coolant around them. Typically, that's water in most reactors. It's also, it acts as a, as a moderator as well as a coolant. But in this case, you would pass gas around them, and the gas would cool the rods and therefore get hot and, uh, and, and pass out the back of your ship at ridiculous temperatures. Um, and that way, you can use any propellant. You know, any, any gas can be used there. You don't have to use reactive ones, anything that's able to absorb uh, heat. So when we're talking about propellant, um, this is the stuff that we're throwing out the back. Throwing out the back. Yeah. to cause your like your change of momentum yeah it's basically um, a fart rocket yeah yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so that's all what rockets that's what are all right it's just right. big farts <laughs> all the way to space yeah i mean okay so we should probably address what we why why do we even want to heat propellant right okay so we keep talking about putting energy into propellant but why do you even want to heat it um in the first place and so this sort of comes to as we're saying it's a change of momentum and uh, we're in space so we can't push off of anything um, if you're in, say, a swimming pool and you swim, then you can push water away from yourself backwards and that pushes you forwards. There's nothing to actually grab or pull in space. There's basically nothing there. And so you have to push away this propellant. Now, imagine that you're in a swimming pool and you gently swish a little bit of water behind you. You're not going to move forward very fast. If you really heave and you really throw a lot of water behind you and you kick really fast, then you move faster. So obviously, the velocity of the thing, the speed of the thing that you're throwing away from yourself, um, affects how fast you move. Now, temperature, the physical 
idea of temperature is essentially just an average of how fast all the particles in your gas or your liquid or your solid are vibrating and moving around. And so if we increase the temperature of the gas, we increase the velocity of the particles on average. And then if we let high temperature gas get away, then those particles are moving a lot faster and therefore they impart a lot more momentum to your craft. And so you don't have to, you don't have to use as much hot gas as you would cold gas. And so again, it's all about trying to conserve the amount of gas you're using or amount of liquid or whatever propellant you're using. I mean, you could just chuck rocks at the back with a slingshot if you want to. It's not very effective, but if you used a, like a, a more elastic uh, slingshot, you could use yeah. fewer rocks, all right? Yeah. So we can look at the equation for momentum, which is just your mass times your velocity. So if you want double the change of momentum, if you want double this thrust, it's a lot more convenient for your rocket. It's not easier it's a lot more convenient for your rocket if you double your velocity as opposed to doubling your mass because if you double your mass you, you have to take more, more mass with you yes, right yeah. yes um, and all that has to be launched into space so if you double the mass of the spacecraft when it's in space you've got to weigh more than quadruple the mass of the spacecraft on earth because if you want to make your spacecraft get really fast, you've got to get all the fuel it's carrying with it really fast as well, which requires more fuel, which also has to go fast, which you then have to have more fuel, which also needs to go, and it's just a never-ending, like it's, it's an exponential problem. Um, and so you can exponentially reduce the amount of money it, it costs for a spacecraft if you can just linearly, you know, mm -hmm. half, say, the, the amount of fuel that you have on your spacecraft. Sure, once you develop that technology. <laughs> let's not count the money that that takes. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of why we want to make things hot in space. We, yeah. want, to, we want things to be as hot as possible. So, yeah. so let's actually talk about what a plasma thruster is, right? So we, we generally talk about plasmas on this podcast. Yeah. Um, we so, have done before. Yeah. No fusion this episode, though. Um, yeah, maybe some we'll, we might get we'll, there. We'll see about that. Okay. Um, yeah. So... What is a plasma thruster? How are you ejecting your propellant? What is your propellant? Um, how does it work? So, you, we mentioned earlier about how like the energy is being not stored in the chemicals and being stored elsewhere. That's kind of the principle of this. So, instead of using the chemicals to get hot by burning them, instead you're making a gas hot by essentially passing electricity through it um, a lot of the time. There are many different types of plasma um, ion thrusters um, out there um, so yeah so you get a gas you ionize it and then because it's ionized or it's hot you can direct it through a nozzle much like a conventional rocket you could also ionize a uh, gas and then pass an electric pass it through an electric field the electric field itself makes the ions move fast which um, obviously um, gives it some thrust or you can use the interaction of electric fields and magnetic fields to make the ions move um, using the Lorentz force uh, and getting them to move fast that way which all produces thrust in their own kind of ways and that is like I say using electricity instead of any fundamental properties of the fuel itself and if you're using electricity that also means you sort of like this term renewable where you can collect energy from the sun, right? And then you could use that as your fuel. You your can have fuel solar almost. panels to collect your electricity. Most most satellites tend to have solar panels, and then um, you can store that in batteries and capacitors and discharge it over a period of time. 
um, and then you can use any gas as your propellant. Um, something heavy is usually best, so xenon is commonly used because it's heavy, but you can use um, argon and krypton and, and any gas that you want to. Mm. Uh, ones that won't react with your spacecraft are good. Um, <laughs> That's so, always helpful. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a number of different things that were tried back in the day, from mercury I think, yeah, uh, that to was the first one, and, and loads of interesting and uh, fun chemicals, but we've kind of settled today on, on things like xenon and krypton. Because they're stable, they're, yeah. if we're going to get technical, they're, mm. they're noble, noble gases. Noble gases, yeah. They don't react with anything. They won't rust your spacecraft. They don't escape from your uh, fuel canisters. Hydrogen, by the way, has a nasty habit of escaping from whatever it's kept in just because it's such a small atom that it kind of leaks through the you know, structure of whatever's <laughs> holding it in. Same problem you have in Tokamaks, where you yeah. have fuel retention in your walls. It's just a massive problem yeah. in spacecraft because if your fuel's hydrogen, it just leaves. Pesky yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> 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 It just <laughs> leaves. Damn it, this you know, is full earlier. <laughs> you've not turned the engine on in a month, and yet for some reason you've lost 10% in your fuel. Kind of annoying. Um, so, yeah, something big and heavy like Xenon's great. So when we're talking about plasma thrusters, are we, are we talking science fiction? Or are what sort of concepts are there at the moment? Has anything been built? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are tons of them. They've been in production since the 60s, loads of different types. Wow. Uh, the the <laughs> original uh, sort of, I guess, like as soon as we went to space. Yep, pretty much. Just yeah. plasma thrusters. Yeah, the Russians were on it from day one, <laughs> yeah. those pesky Ruskies. Um, they were uh, basically patenting every single type of glowy object in the world. Um <laughs> And then whapping them on spaceships because they could. So, like, one of the most simple types of electric propulsion, eh, I'm going to get loads of flack for folk who work on this because there were still loads of folk who developed these, are called resisto jets, which is basically a space hairdryer. So, like, a hairdryer at home that you would use has a metal coil in it. You pass a current through the coil, the coil gets hot. If you ever look down a hairdryer when it's on, you'll get hot eyes, but you will also see that there's, there's like a glowing red coil in there. Um, and yeah, you, you pass gas over the glowing red hot coil and that gets hot. That's a resistor jet. It's literally a, like you use the current to heat up some, some wire. Um, I understand that's not typically what we think of as a plasma thruster. It doesn't use a plasma, um, but it is an electronic thruster. Yeah, it's a s similar concept, right? You heat yeah. up a gas, you heat up your propellant, and you send it the other way so that you're not carrying as much mass. Precisely, yeah. And that's the, some of the simplest ones. They took this to the next level, though, and genuinely made the first sort of plasma thrusters with things called arc jets, um, where so an, a plasma arc is lightning. Um, and so you have um, a little nozzle. In the center of this nozzle is a powered electrode, something usually copper. Um, and uh, around the tip of this, so it's kind of like the end of a pen nib kind of shaped thing, where you've got this metal in the center and then a rim around the outside and a very small gap in between. And uh, but instead of passing ink through, you're passing gas. And then you put a huge voltage onto the centerpiece of metal, and you get lightning uh, across the edge of your, across the end of your thruster. So you just have constant lightning across the end of your thruster, and you pass gas through. Like one the of those sort of plasma ball things we've yep. got. Pretty much. Round a disc instead of a sphere. Yeah, it's round a disc instead of a sphere. And yeah, you just pass gas through lightning, because lightning's hot in it. So if you pass gas through it, it gets hot. Um, that was probably the, the first type of plasma so thruster. This one's like a. Like true plasma thruster. Yeah. Could you do that? What, do put it? lightning in a hairdryer? Yeah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> it gives you silky smooth and uh, extremely frizzy just, hair with all the static. Yeah, you know? Just don't hold it too close to your face. <laughs> gives you an instant afro with all the static electricity. You just... So you said that those resisto 
jets and uh, those yeah. arc thrusters. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds so cool. Arc thruster is a really cool name, yeah. <laughs> those were sure. early concepts. Uh, what sort of modern day concepts do we have, or is that what people are still working on? They're, they're still interested in these concepts. They, they keep coming in, out and up, in and out of fashion as the next steps in like techno- technology improve. Like in the old days, these were considered, but one of the one of the two kind of competing ideas in the sixties was uh, gridded iron thrusters and hall thrusters. Um, so although um, these are more complex ideas, but they are still used a lot today. We're coming on to s- the cubesats and the modern kind of satellite industry at the minute, and what can come CubeSat? back. Um, so cubesats are like little. Space Lego. Yeah, like space. Yeah, that's a very good space description. Lego. Space yeah. Lego. Yeah, <laughs> you you have little modular um, satellites which do a job very well singularly, and you just bolt maybe four different ones who do their own jobs, and then you get a satellite which functions and does four jobs out like of the, the power four bits of it. Satellites. Yeah, they so are power ranges of satellites. Yeah, you're like not them. limited to. F- yep, yeah, you can bolt whatever you want to that's each a 16, other. Sixteen, I think, is what the biggest. Sixteen, frame is, but you can make a bigger frame if you really wanted to. Yeah, and then you launch them up. A lot of them are now private, private kind of um, people launching satellites, not governments. Universities um, are commonly launching their own satellites. Yep. Um, Australian um, National University recently launched a few um, CubeSats for use with their undergraduate labs. And I think there's a company in Scotland that does CubeSats for private companies, and you can buy your own. Yep. If you if you have like 10 grand spare and you have something that you want to send into space, you can tell them... I'll give you this. Just like shove up there. I'd like a satellite, please. What does it do? It just broadcasts Scott is awesome over and over again <laughs> on all possible frequencies. I mean, but you know, that like ten grand. Per- could you send a person? Like if I fell out, uh, could I ask them to send you up there? That's not a professional <laughs> quote. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the last I when I read it. I think it was about ten grand for a small cube. To be honest, that um, sounds about right. Yeah, ten fifteen grand per per cube section is, is about right. Uh, plus another ten grand to launch into space. Keep in mind. And then a bit more to go over the moral implications of launching Charlie up in space. <laughs> <laughs> Only a little bit. Though. Small consideration. Yeah. So you mentioned Hall thrusters. Yeah. And so I know Hall from like Hall probes, it's sort of magnetic effect. So this sounds more like a, a plasma magnetic thruster. What, what is a Hall thruster? Right. Um, so I mentioned earlier about how like you can make a plasma and then propel things using magnetic fields and electric fields at the sure. same time. So if you have... Um, a charged particle moving across an electric field and a magnetic field, it can experience something called the Lorentz force. Which we, we have gone over in early episodes um, when we're talking about uh, parts of particles through tokamaks, so refer back there. <laughs> but basically Good. a Lorentz force is just a force on a charged particle when it's in a when it's moving in a magnetic in field. In a magnetic and yeah. an electric And it was discovered by some dude called Lorentz, and so now it's called the Lorentz force. Nice that's, and easy. I don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. You can see the history of physics lessons weren't wasted. There. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so it's a bit. It's using that kind of principle. So you have um, like a bucket with a peg in it. Um, you make an electric field across the the central peg in the bucket, and through that you pass um, an electric field and a magnetic field, and you have a gas going through as well from the bottom. Um, you make a plasma in that bucket, and due to the um, electric field and the magnetic field, you get um, ions being forced out into the uh, into space, p- making thrust. Um, this is an idea that the Soviets really developed back in the 60s. This is one of their big ideas. Um, I think it was only in the 1990s, early 1990s, late 1980s, that the Americans 
um, were invited to their lab to see how it was done. Um, it's got its own positives and negatives, um, but that's... That's yes, um, most of the ions are charged, that's correct. Hey! Is mm, it charged, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling some resistance uh, against my charge. Right. <laughs> I'll stop. That's a very current uh, joke. Oh, voltage! <laughs> no one's um, going to find that funny. So, yeah, yeah so the, the Soviets had this idea, um, um, and that's one of... This is why I said, like, it's... Um, the idea is coming out of fashion. So this is a very expensive, it's power hungry, but it does provide a very good thrust for the for the device. So if you're having a big satellite that you need to put around, let's say, Jupiter, then the whole thruster can do really well with that. The Americans had their own ideas. They had a something called a gridded iron thruster. So this is kind of simpler. It's got an electric field between two grids with ions coming near the grid and being accelerated over the electric field. So just like a battery is a positive and a negative, and if you have something charged, it will go from the positive to the negative um, like that. That's essentially what the electric um, and gridded iron thruster does. Um, those are the two kind of big ideas. They take a lot of power. Um, like I say, they'll get you to Jupiter. But if we go back to the space, space cubes sat, ideas sort of new, lower four yeah, bit that's where these a lot more novel new smaller cheaper ideas come from that's where all these arc jets um resisto thruster things come from and that's okay. where all the money is these days okay cool uh so we've so we've done covered what plasma thrusters are given a few examples so what's the real benefit of plasma thrusters in general why, why do we want a plasma thruster well, the main idea with a plasma thruster is that you can get particles going extremely fast. So, when I mentioned before, you, know, you want particles to go as fast as possible because then you can use as little fuel as possible. Faster particles go, less fuel you use. Good. If you heat up something, say with, um, with a chemical rocket, there's a certain amount of power you can get out, a certain amount of energy you can get out per mass of fuel. We've mentioned this. If you use a nuclear rocket, then you can only go so hot before your nuclear fuel rods begin to melt down, and that's not good. But with electrical propulsion, if you've got enough voltage, enough current, you can just keep making things hotter and hotter and hotter and faster and faster. Um, if you've got a large enough electric field, you can get particles up to you know, 20, 200, thousands of kilometers per second, just depends how much power you've got to throw at it. So the other two propulsion methods are in sort of inherently limited. Mm. There's sort of an upper limit that physics will allow you to go, whereas mm. with electrical propulsion, the upper limit, there, there are a couple of upper limits, but we're nowhere near them yet at all. There's so much potential. Once we get more power on spacecraft, <laughs> well, there's so much potential. Um, once we get more power on spacecraft, we can, we can really start to push into more sci-fi realms with uh, what we can do with these thrusters. Um, but something we come, we've mentioned um, a few times now, one of the real benefits of working with plasma is the fact that you, you can't really destroy a plasma. So it's why fusion can take place in it. It's, so we'll probably talk about laser plasma accelerators in the fu in a future episode, but plasmas are basically broken apart, ripped apart already, and you can just do whatever you want to the matter inside them. So they end up having all these really useful applications, but they're also very hard to work with. They're also non-combustible. Right, mm. they're sort of. You can get an oxygen plasma. That <laughs> that goes a bit crazy. We but can yeah. test that theory. Up to a certain point <laughs> where, if it comes into contact with materials or you stop confining it, it disperses. So, where in a chemical rocket, you're you're sat on this explosion. Mm. 
if something goes wrong with your plasma thruster, there's kind of just like a, a poof, and now you're not going anywhere. Yeah, pretty well, much. you are going somewhere, but at the same speed. You're not accelerating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've got an inert fuel. You're not carrying around buckets of explosives, which is quite nice. Yeah. Um, the only thing is you might kind of die on the way there <laughs> if you're using plasma thrusters. What do you mean? So, I mean, if you're sticking your face in there. So, yeah. <laughs> well, Scott mentioned how if you make things go really, really fast, uh, you can go... Um, you, there is, theoretically, the limit is the speed of light. Um, you can fire these um, particles out the back of your spaceship really, really, really quickly. However, the, they're only particles. The mass is very, very, very small, um, which is the kind of counter-argument to using these kind of thrusters for, let's say, a crewed mission to Pluto. You'd, it's going to take a long time. I, I looked up on the Wikipedia before I came into this episode. Expert. Um, <laughs> um, it said that it would take two days using some of the kind of more powerful thrusters to get to the speed of a car driving on a motorway. Mm. That's the kind of acceleration that you're talking about. Yeah, we, it we takes can... a long time to get up to the speed you want to get to. I think I can beat that. I can make a, a much lower. Oh, okay. We'll come, to that. we'll come to that soon. Uh, there's a, a type of uh, electric propulsion called photon rockets or photonic propulsion. Oh, so really low mass. <laughs> it's, it's, Speed of uh, light. Yeah, that's a little bit. <laughs> they're a bit slow. But uh, we'll get to those in a, in a second, I think, actually, when we come to the, the weird and wonderful future sci-fi ways of moving around in space. Like hmm. you're sitting on a desk chair and trying to move it by throwing peas on the wall. <laughs> so we've been talking about making these particles faster and faster. So let's bring a bit of fusion into it. Um, I recall we had a talk here from some guy in the States who was working on hall thrusters. And he was saying that they were hoping to use um, DD or even DT um, plasmas. So deuterium, deuterium or deuterium, tritium, what we use hopefully to make um, a full fusion reactor. Because if you can heat these particles fast enough and you can get them to fuse, that's added heat into your plasma thruster. So essentially, it's it's almost free energy. It's not. Yep. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, the well, fusion well. community has such a such. Uh, they love to say free energy, and it's, oh, it's never it's never free, is it? Yeah, but yeah, it's more energy. Yeah. So this is actually the the idea uh, is very similar to what's called the Vasmir. Um, project uh, V-A-S-M-I-R um, I can spell and uh, the uh, no I don't know what it stands for but this project it was conceived I believe in the late 70s or early 80s and what it is is essentially a it's a magnetic mirror which I believe you've spoken about before yeah, yeah. yeah linear so it's the idea of containing a plasma yeah. um, with two so yeah you've got magnetic yeah. fields that have a gradient on it yeah you've got with, sort of Rings and you have magnetic fields, but, but rather than Tokamak, which is sort of donut droidal shape, this is just a, a sausage shape. And you kind of you chop one end of this magnetic mirror off so that it's confined in one end and not confined in the other. And uh, you would pump some DT, some deuterium, tritium into there, and you would try and get it to fusion critical temperatures and densities as it reaches the nozzle. So you use the same sort of heating mechanisms, your uh, ion uh, cyclotron heating. I don't know if you talk about that, but that's the type of heating they use in fusion. Exact same sort of heating mechanism they use in fusion. And you'd reach your, your critical densities at the nozzle, and you would get fusion happening, and you would be literally riding a sort of fusion explosion. Um, and fusion, as wave. fusion wave. Fusion um, <laughs> wave. Uh, yeah, we'll ride the fusion <laughs> wave, man, gnarly, uh, yeah, etc. Um, 
And yeah, that would be fantastic because not only are you putting in all of the, the heat and, and you're putting on all the electrical energy, but this is now sort of getting into the realm of an electro-nuclear propulsion. You're getting both because you're liberating the, the energy from the nuclear fuel, which has a ridiculously, if you go back to our specific uh, power, specific uh, heat, then uh, you're, you're, you've got a ridiculously high amount of power in such a small amount of mass of nuclear fuel. And so then you're, you're really liberating a lot of power then, and you can get a huge amount of thrust. And the applications of fusion here are certainly not as rigorous as for fusion reactors, because if your fusion gain is even 10% of your input energy, that's 10% less money that you're spending to send your, your fuel out there. So you don't actually need to be that efficient with your fusion burn. Yeah, fusion engines don't need to be self-sustaining. Sure. They don't yeah. need to power themselves. Um, now, it'd be nice if you could sort of reclaim some of the heat along the length of your, your you know, you could have some re reclamation of your heat, but ultimately, like a, a super sci-fi ship would have some kind of nuclear reactor providing power, which would then go to power a really bad nuclear reactor, which is at the back of your ship, which is then your, your propulsion. Really bad um, nuclear reactor, really good plasma thruster. Exactly, which is why I do th plasma thrusters, because it means we get away with a lot more <laughs> yeah. stuff. We can be a lot more inefficient, and we can be a lot more kind of gung-ho. Um, but that, that if you want something that you know has the potential to push humans around uh, in space, then electronuclear is probably yeah. the way to go. And it also means that we can sometimes, if we talk about this, we can call ourselves fusion rocket scientists. Mm. Mm. That's okay. just so it's not just rocket science, it's, it's fusion, fusion rocket, rocket science. science. Yeah, and, and a bit of plasma in there as well, you could just keep oh. adding plasma oh, fusion yeah. rocket science. Yeah. And by fusion we mean dancing, of course. <laughs> um, What is your favourite rocket idea that we've talked about today, Charlie? I really like a Hall Effect fusion thruster. Um, I think that'd be really cool. I think NASA's working on a concept, something for like a, a 30 megawatt thruster that will hopefully get us to Mars in something like eight months or something. Greg? Definitely the idea of cutting off the bottom of a nuclear power station. <laughs> Scott? I like the rock with a slingshot idea, to be honest, like, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> just Bart Simpson, just twang, twang, we'll get there eventually. And with that, uh, that has been this episode of Glass of Seawater. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Scott, Greg, and Charlie, for joining me today. That was a great episode. That was a really fun episode. I learned so much. Same. Even though I may have not been in it. Same. So I think uh, for our many listeners, we would really appreciate if you subscribe to our podcast on whatever app you're listening on. Yeah, and check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Just search A Glass of Seawater and we'll come right up. Finally, just uh, if you can, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be incredibly helpful. That would really help us. It greatly increases the visibility of the podcast, probably more than anything else. And tell all your friends and enemies. That was a really good episode. I enjoyed it and I learned a lot. See you next time for the next glass of seawater. Bye.